0: So, Norman, would you close us in prayer? Give thanks to the Lord and pray for our time together.
1: Father God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, my Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us, Father. Because of your love, Father, you sent your son to set us free from sin and death, Father God. And we are so thankful, Father. And we thank you for the privilege that we can come together and worship you in a spirit and a truth, Father. God, thank you for the privilege that we can come and and hear from you this morning, Father. I pray that we will not lose sight of what you're going to speak to us today, Father. God, help us not just to be hear of the word, but that we will be doers, Father. Help us to be still and know that you are God, that you are in control, that you are our healer, our provider, Lord Jesus. So we give you the glory and the honor, Father. God, speak to us this morning, Father. God, Holy Spirit. Manifest yourself and us, Father God, and help us to be the people that you call us to be, to be your ambassador, your representation in this earth, Father God. So we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Thank you. Unforgiving, praise God in heaven who reigns. Yeah, hallelujah! Christ is risen. Now, every heart.
0: free. Thank you, Father, that the freedom is only found in Christ, that Lord Jesus you are the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to the Father except through you. We thank you, God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us Mm -hmm. through your Son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you yet for another day to gather. Lord, to hear your word, Father. Mm -hmm. Pray, God, that we would be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit that, God, we would not just hear, Father, what we would love to hear, but, God, that we would actually hear truth, your word. Your word is life, Father, and we thank you, God. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive, God. May we hide your word in our heart, Father, knowing good and well, Father, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, Father, we come, Father, humbling ourselves before you, Lord, we ask, God, that we would not be distracted, Father, but that we would remain focused, Father, on you,
2: that we would keep our eyes
0: on Christ, and that ultimately, Father, our lives would bring glory and honor to you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, community, a group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common. It's also a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 is where we're heading. Scriptures to help, I pray, to encourage us in community and the importance of community. Scriptures that we'll continue to kind of go through through the year. Um, But I do pray that we're taking them and meditating upon them Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 17 you will share in all of his glory. So, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. You see, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender hearted mercy and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Community: a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common again, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals and as we just heard from Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 it's about living the new life You see, again, the Christian community is, the center of that community is Christ. The foundation of the Christian community is Christ. It's this new life in Christ. It's not this new life in religious works. It's this new life in Christ because we understand that we have been born again of a new nature. And we're not waiting to heaven to live out this new life. No, we're experiencing the new life here and now. Amen. Behind enemy lines, <laughs> with everything against us, everything trying to devour us, everything being thrown out thrown at you left and right throughout your days to try to distort truth. Mm. But you see, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world, and we already know that we are overcomers because Jesus overcame. Yes. He's triumphant. He's risen from the dead. He's defeated sin and death. So when the Bible tells us, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. You see, these are common interests. This is who we are as a Christian Christian. Community. We're no longer going the ways of the world. But now we're going the ways of Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3. Share each other's burdens, Mm. and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself.
2: Mm.
0: You're not that important. Mm. James 5. Verse 16. Again, these scriptures to help us, encourage us, in community. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Again, community. Being able to be transparent first before God and then before man, praying for each other, encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Oh, how we need each other. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are fitted together. We are to be functioning together. Again, using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed among us to accomplish the Lord's will for us as a Christian community. The Heidelberg Catechism, it's a tool that I've been sharing with us. We're on Lord's Day 17, still part two of the Catechism on Deliverance and Understanding God the Son. So our question for this week is, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? And so as we're even thinking about community, these questions over the past few weeks that have been you know given and then the answers given you know hopefully we're really taking them and we're understanding that how they impact us individually and then collectively as a community so when we really think about this how does Christ's resurrection benefit us well first by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. And second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Yes. So, why is his resurrection? What benefit do we get? Well, by his resurrection, he's overcome death, yes. that we too might share in his righteousness. Mm-hmm. By His power, we too—and I love this—are already raised to a new life. And again, you hear it, the third one: Christ's resurrection is this is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. And oh, how I pray that we are longing for that day. First Kings fourteen. <clears throat> Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we live lives of deception. When we give ourselves over to our flesh, when we are led astray and we begin worshiping other idols, other deities, nothing good can come from it. It always leads us to, uh, to greater sin. God help us as we're learning and we're seeing what's happening to Israel. So we're in chapter 14. We're going to read the chapter 14 and go into chapter 15 to verse 24. At that time, Jeroboam's son, Abijah, became very sick. So Jeroboam told his wife, Disguise yourself so that no one will recognize you as my wife. Then go to the prophet Ahijah at Shiloh. Take him a gift of ten loaves of bread, some cakes, and a jar of honey. And ask him, what will happen to the boy? So Jeroboam's wife went to Ahijah's house at Shiloh. He was an old man now and could no longer see. But, "...the Lord told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife will come here, pretending to be someone else. She will ask you about her son, for he is very sick. Give her the answer I give you." So when when Ahijah heard her footsteps at the door, he called out, "...come in, wife of Jeroboam, why are you pretending to be someone else?" Then he told her, I have bad news for you. Now, before we move on here, let's remember what the Lord told Jeroboam. He told him, Jeroboam, if you would follow me, I would create for you a lasting dynasty. And Jeroboam did not follow him. Jeroboam turned and went his ways. And now we're going to see the destruction of Jeroboam and everyone who belongs to Jeroboam. You see, there's nothing good from turning from God. There's nothing and I've always and I've always said that to us that nothing good comes from the flesh. The flesh only knows how to die. You give it just a little, it's going to take a lot from you. Then he told her, I have bad news for you. Give your husband, Jeroboam, this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. I promoted you from the ranks of the common people and made you ruler over my people, Israel. I ripped the kingdom away from the family of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant, David who obeyed my commandments and followed me with all of his heart and always did whatever I wanted. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made other gods for yourself and have made me furious with your gold calves. And since you have turned your back on me, I will bring disaster on your dynasty." And will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will burn up your royal dynasty as one burns up trash until it is all gone. The members of Jeroboam's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs. And those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then... Ahijah said to Jeroboam's wife, Go on home, and when you enter the city, the child will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only member of your family who will have a proper burial. For this child is the only good thing that the Lord, the God of Israel, sees in the entire family of Jeroboam. In addition, the Lord will raise up a king over Israel who would destroy the family, of jeroboam this will happen today even now then the lord will shake israel like a reed whipped out of whipped about in a stream he will uproot the people of israel from this good land that he gave their ancestors and will scatter them beyond the euphrates river for they have angered the lord with the Asherah poles they have set up for worship He will abandon Israel because Jeroboam sinned and made Israel sin along with him. So Jeroboam's wife returned to Terzah, and the child died just as she walked through the door of her home. And all of Israel buried him and mourned for him, as the Lord had promised to the prophet Ahijah. The rest of the events in Jeroboam's reign, including all of his wars and how he ruled, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Jeroboam reigned in Israel twenty-two years. When Jeroboam died, his son Nadab Nadab became the next king. Meanwhile, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was forty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem. The city of the Lord had chosen the city the Lord had chosen from among all the tribes of Israel as a place to honor his name. Rehoboam's mother was Nama, an Ammonite woman. During Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin. For it was even worse than that of their ancestors. For they also built for themselves pagan shrines and set up sacred pillars of Asherah Poles, on every high hill, and under every green tree. There were even male and female shrine prostitutes throughout the land. The people imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. My, my, how quick they turned from their God. They want to act like a nation that He's not Lord of, that He's not God of, and He will treat them like a nation that does not belong to Him. They had witnessed God. This nation, these people, God all along has been revealing Himself over and over and over, and over again, and yet the heart of man is so wicked. They're in it for a season when it blesses them. But then they look elsewhere, and he warned them. He warned them not to look at how the other nations worship. Don't be captivated by, by what they can get by with. No, they were to remain loyal to Him. They were to love Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, with all of their strength. He loved them first. Again, God's plan, God's purpose, that He will have a people from the beginning, (laughs) throughout all eternity, that will belong to Him. They will be His people, and He will be their God. And as it is then, so it is now and so it will continue to be will be the anger of the Lord. Will be displayed. The wrath of God is being stored up and there's going to be a day when it's going to be unleashed. Not because he's a bad god, a mean god. No, he's a righteous god. He's a holy god. He's a just god. He cannot tolerate sin. And so why is sin being tolerated among the community of believers? Then, now, and will continue. Again, we've been talking about the standard of righteousness that is to be raised up. How we are to live now. How we are to to, to serve others, and to serve God, and to love God, and to trust God, and to depend on God, and to live for God. Because of Jesus. Because we're in a new covenant. The Messiah that these people in the old covenant, and at the old covenant points to, He's already came. And we're already told. It, it, under this covenant, the old covenant, it's a lot easier than it is in the New Covenant. Think about that. And yet we don't tremble when we sin. Before we open our mouth, before we put our hands to something, before we allow our feet to take us somewhere, before we allow ourselves to be entertained by these thoughts, we keep trying to find our identity in who we were, what we were, or what we like and what we want, (laughs) Instead of knowing our identity now is in Christ, in Christ alone. Like living in community in Christ being the center and Christ being the our source of, of power and strength. Knowing that he's been he said he had to go away so that the Holy Spirit would come, who ultimately is leading and guiding us now. That's why the Bible tells us to walk habitually in the Spirit. So we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, God knows the heart of men. And that's why he promises to give us a new heart. A new way of life. And so as Christians, we have the good news to go forth and to tell others. Because apart from Christ, this is what happens. All of this happens. The chaos, the destruction, the death. Perversion, strife, all of it just ri- just keeps rising up. And it angers God. I mean, look again at verse 22. During Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight. You see, I keep telling us it's not God with the problem. It's, the main, it's His creation. We're the problem. We want to be the creator. And that's not how it is. Nor will it, will it ever be. The people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking His anger with their sin. For it was even worse than that of their ancestors. I mean, again... Don't read this and just let it just be empty words. This, these are God's chosen holy people. And now they have built for themselves pagan shrines. Male and female shrine prostitutes throughout the land. The people imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations for the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. God's land. God's chosen land that he gave over to his people. Look what they've done with it. They've perverted it. They have raised up these idols. They have given over given over to their sensuality. They've given over to every type of of lust and every type of perversion and every type of worship. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam's reign, King Shishak of Egypt came up and attacked Jerusalem. He ransacked the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stole everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. King Rehoboam later replaced them with bronze shields as substitutes, and he entrusted them to the care of the commanders of the guard who protected the entrance of the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the temple of the Lord, the guards would also take the shields and then return them to the guard room. The rest of the events of Rehoboam's reign And everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. There was constant war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. When Rehoboam died, he was buried among his ancestors in the city of David. His mother was Nama, an Ammonite woman. Then his son Abijam became the next king. Abijam began to rule over Judah in the 18th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother was Micah, the daughter of Absalom. He committed the same sins as his father before him. And he was not faithful to the Lord his God, as his ancestor David had been. But for the sake, for David's sake, the Lord has, the Lord his God allowed his descendants to continue ruling shining like a lamp, and he gave Abamjam, Ab- son, a son to rule after him in Jerusalem. For David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful. Again, again, when you're reading through this, just don't rush through it. Like, understand the... the The Lord in his great mercy. Like when I read that part of chapter 15 and just meditated upon that. How the mercy of the Lord is being displayed. And no matter how great the sin is ruling and reigning. No matter how much destruction is taking place. Or how rebellious the people are. God is still faithful. And he's faithful to his word. He could have wiped it all out. But Jesus was purposed to come through the line of David. And so God is gracious. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. And so there's so much just in that short passage of reading that I just read, verse 3 through 5, of the character of God. But there was a war between Abijam and Jeroboam throughout Abijam's reign. The rest of the events in Abijah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. There was constant war between Abijam and Jeroboam. When Abijam died, he was buried in the city of David. Then his son Asa became the next king. And don't miss out what you're constantly hearing. And there was... There, there was constant war. There was constant war. There was no peace. And then Asa shows up. Verse 9. We're going to read through verse 24. Asa began to rule over Judah in the 20th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother was Maka, the daughter of Absalom. Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight as his ancestor David had done. He banished the male and female shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother Micah from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the pagan shrines were not removed, Asa's heart remained completely faithful to the Lord throughout his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and various items that he and his father had dedicated. There was constant war between King Asa of Judah and King Basha of Israel. King Baasha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving king Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded by removing all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. He sent in, he sent it with some of his officials to ben son of Tabarum, son of Hezron, the king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus along with this message. Let there be a treaty between you and me like the one between your father and my father. See, I am sending you a gift of silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Basha of Israel so that he will leave me alone. ben of, agreed to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his armies to attack the towns of Israel. They conquered the towns of Ijon, Dan, Abel beth Makkah, and all of Kirith, and all the land of Naphali. As soon as Besha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and withdrew, and withdrew to Tizra. The King Asa, Then King Asa sent an order throughout Judah requiring that everyone, without exception, help to carry away the building stones and timbers that Besha had been using to fortify Ramah. Asa used these materials to fortify the town of Geba and Benjamin in the town of Mizpah. The rest of the events of Asa's reign, the extent of his power, everything he did, and the names of the cities he built are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. In his old age, his feet became diseased. When Asa died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, became the next king. And again, we're seeing all of this transpiring, just as we see it in our day. It just keeps getting wicked and more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. But God's plan is in place. Jesus is returning to gather his own, just as it was promised that he would come to deliver them. Now the promise of him coming to gather them, oh, it will be done. So all the wicked and all the violence and all of the sin, all the destruction, everything that we're seeing. That's why as a Christian community, we are not to be moved. We are rooted in Christ. We know who he is and who we are. At least we should. But then we're even told in the later days that there's going to be such a great falling away. People aren't even going to love to be in the presence of God. They're going to just go be about their business and the love of God. And, and, and it's, it's not going to to draw people because people are going to be so consumed with themselves. And God help us. God help us. But one thing that we can't have confidence in is God, his word. He's faithful. Jesus is returning Let's go to Acts, chapter 10. And this is such an important chapter. As they all are. But this one begins to really break down and begin to open up what God has purposed all along. You see, people are quick to throw up the past laws, if you would, in order to support to support their sin. But whatever God has done away with in the New Testament is done away with. But what you cannot see clearly define as being done away with is still in effect. You see, we're going to read here about Peter. Who was a devout Jew. And devout Jews did not mingle with the Gentiles. The devout Jews held to the law. Peter, though he's a devout Jew, he is now a disciple of Christ, he's an apostle for Christ. But yet Peter still has a little bit of religion within him that is hindering and will continue to hinder what God has called him to. So God now is about to bring forth God's purpose all along that everyone will be included in this. It is the plan of God that all nations... Come to Him, know Him, love Him, serve Him. And not one is above the other. So we're going to see in this chapter how God works to tear down what man tries to hold on to. In Caesarea, There lived a Roman army official named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. Don't forget, he was a Gentile, a Roman, as was everyone in his household. Very godly man. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? he asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some of your men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And the sheets and the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Now understand, to a Jew, that goes against everything that he knows. And so how does he respond? No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. God help us. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer is he is a devout and god-fearing man well respected by all the Jews a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that you may so that he may hear your message so Peter invited the men to stay for the night the next day he went with them accompanied by some of the br- brothers from Joppa the discriminating walls are coming down. <laughs> Peter now is heading out to speak to a Gentile, to a Roman. Everything that Peter knew is being turned upside down in order for God to fulfill His will through Peter and ultimately God's will in the earth. There are some laws from Leviticus that have been done away with. And so when you hear people screaming them at you, when you bring up about being sexually pure and maintaining sexual, you know purity, sexual that never has changed. It is to be how God designed it. You see nothing in Scripture. In the New Testament, that gives you the right to give yourself over sexually to however you want. But here we see that all the laws of the food restrictions have been lifted. Have been lifted. And yet, people today will begin to take some of these laws that were from back then and begin to hold on to them to today as if that somehow makes them holy or right. In the reality it doesn't. And if they base their lives on those laws, then they have a, then they're gonna have problems really following Christ. Because Christ ultimately came to fulfill the law and to lead us as God's people on this earth to accomplish God's will And God's plan. And that's why I love this portion of scripture. Because Peter of all people. God reveals this to. And God is tearing down the walls. That keep people out. From his presence. Go to Psalm 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and into the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Harmony. Unity. That we would dwell with Christ and with each other. That we would live for Christ and live in community, honoring Christ, honoring each other, accomplishing His purpose and His plans for our lives. Proverbs 17 Verses 7 through 8. Two nuggets of wisdom for you. Eloquent words are not fitting for a fool. Even less are lies fitting for a ruler. A bribe is like a lucky charm. Whoever gives one will prosper. And so verse 8 is interesting. So I wanted to read a commentary that I found on it. Because here we heard about a bribe in a way that is rewarding. And so some proverbs are statements of fact. Not all are endorsements. Remember this is King Solomon, he's writing these out to his sons. So some of them are a statement of fact. But not all of them are endorsements on doing. Another statement in this passage connects bribery to sin, Proverbs 17, verse 23. Other scriptures do the same, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 7, Isaiah 5, to 23 and Proverbs 29, verse 4. Here, Solomon points out that bribes can be effective, so much so that those who offer bribes can come to trust them too much. Bribery, was, bribery has always been a common temptation for those in power. Scriptures from Exodus to the Minor Prophets condemn it. Exodus 23, verse 8 commands Israel, You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the night. Isaiah 1.23 reveals how common bribes were in that time. Everyone loves a bribe. And runs after gifts. They do not do justice to the fatherless and the widows. Cause does not come to them. The prophet Amos spoke the Lord's words to Israel. That included the condemnation of bribes. He declared, For I the Lord know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside, the needy in the gate. So yet, though, we hear in verse 8, I want us to understand that's just a statement of fact. It's not an endorsement because ultimately you see through scriptures that bribery is actually a sin. I want to close this with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer.